Please turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians 2, 12 through 16. Uh, last week I had the privilege to um, speak to you from 1 John 1 on a uh, biblical vision for our youth ministry. And if you were not here or uh, weren't able to listen, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that just so that this sermon will make sense to you. Uh, otherwise, you might be a little lost, but I think it'll be okay. Um, last week we said that our youth ministry is founded on a biblical and theological foundation. It's, it's founded on the gospel. We teach the gospel in everything we do, and we pray for and we pursue uh, the transformation of our, our students' hearts through the gospel. And we, like to, we want to create an atmosphere of fellowship that allows for godly friendships to grow. And uh, all of that is what we mean when we say that we want to equip students to walk in the light. Now, it's very easy to stop there. It's very easy to say, that's great, we're so thankful that our youth are walking in the light that they know Jesus, and then to shelter, to say, well, we're not going to let them out into the world, we're not going to expose them to anything worldly. Um, it's, it's easy to stop there. But what I hope to do this morning is, is to give you some some lay out from the Bible a reason, some reasons why we must resist that temptation, why we must resist the temptation to shelter. Shelter doesn't mean we can't protect, doesn't mean we can't uh, help them along the way, but I think that uh, we are called to teach our youth, to equip our youth to glow in the dark. Let's read Philippians 2, 12 through 16 together. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Pray with me. Father, this is your word. We are blessed, we are privileged to have your word, to be able to read it, study it, and to, to know you through it. And I pray, Father, that we would know you better as a result of reading your word this morning and that you would um, grow us, draw us closer to your Son, Jesus Christ, through your Holy Spirit. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, so if we, we look at this passage, I want to start with verse 15 a little bit because it kind of gives us the goal uh, the goal, I believe, that Paul is after here is for us to shine as lights in the darkness um, amidst a crooked and twisted generation. It sounds like what he's saying there is that we need to be rubbing shoulders with those who are lost, not, not standing apart from them. And, and we see elsewhere in Scripture, this is not just a goal, but it's a command. The Lord Jesus himself in Matthew 5.16 says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So what I want to 
get you to see is that if we are walking in the light, if we know Jesus, that, that means that we are saved from something. It means we're saved from our sin. It means we're saved from the punishment that we deserve for our sin. But it also means that we're saved to something. We're saved for something. We're saved for good works. We're saved for, as it says in verse 12, working out our salvation. And that verb, the, the Greek there, is a, a verb called katergatsomai, which means to uh, do the things, the, do the effect of a cause. In this case, it's to do the things that would be the result of you having salvation. It's do good works because being in Christ, being hidden in Christ, trusting in His righteousness means that we will bear fruit, that we will abide in Him, be a part of the vine, and bear fruit. That is the result of our salvation. And so as I like to say, we are called to exercise our faith, to put it in action. And last week we saw that the first part of that is repentance. That we must see repentance. Faith and repentance are linked. But there's also obedience there. Working out our salvation is about repentance and faith, and it's about obedience as a result of faith. But catch this, it's with fear and trembling. In other words, it's with humility. Verse 13 says this, it says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Hey, it's not you who saved you. It's not me who saved me. It's not anything to do with us. It's God working in us. God is the one who has worked salvation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have done it all. We are totally passive. We have nothing to do with it. It's kind of amazing. And so humble is the only thing we can be when it comes to our salvation. There's no, really no other choice. It's not our light. We're not shining our lights in the darkness. We're shining the light of Christ. It's up to him to be the light. It's up to us to reflect the light, to reflect his good news. And so as we glow in the dark, as we rub shoulders with non-believers, as we share the light of Christ with those who are lost, we must do so humbly. We must do so with humility. And we must equip our youth to do this. We must equip them to do this not just now as, as teenagers, but also for a lifetime. So that when they're middle-aged and when they're elderly, they will still shine as lights in the darkness. Always with humility. You know, there's nothing that's more of a turnoff to non-believers than arrogant Christians. People who are arrogant about what they believe. They may have the right message. They may have the gospel down pat. They may be able to, to quote all kinds of scriptures at you. But if done with arrogance, they are not reflecting Christ. And I believe that if we begin with the reality that it is Jesus alone who works salvation in us, then again, we will do our good works in humility. There is no other way to be. We cannot be arrogant about something we have not done. So humility, doing good works in humility, and that also allows us to not skimp on the truth. We don't have to skimp on the gospel message. We can be blatantly honest about it. We don't need to make Jesus relevant. 
We don't need to put a spin on the gospel. We're not Jesus' PR people. He doesn't need PR people. We just need to be mirrors reflecting his light. We just need to be messengers sharing his message. We want to be brutally honest in a loving and humble way about who Jesus is and about our great need for him because of our sin. But again, I keep on saying it with humility or none will listen. This is what we must equip our youth to do. This is what all of us must be equipped to do. And this is intimidating. It's a risk. It's kind of scary. But look, here's the thing. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Father's predestined all this stuff for us. He's picked out good works for us to do. He's got it laid out for you. All we have to do is go be faithful and do it. What is to fear? What is, again, it's not our light. It's Jesus. It's his light. It's his message. It's his good news. We don't participate in salvation. We don't elect people. We don't save people. We don't effectually call people. It is the job of our Trinitarian God, and he is 100% effective at all of it. All we are to do is to do what God has prepared for us to do already. That is to walk in the light and to be faithful. But that doesn't mean we don't equip. It doesn't mean we don't train. And I wanted to point out to you that one thing we love to do in the youth ministry is to train our students, to equip our students to, to biblically discern the culture around them. Um, on Wednesday, Wednesday evenings this summer, in fact, we're going to do that um, every time we meet, we're going to look at issues that face our society, and there's a lot of them out there. there. There are tons of things we could talk about, but we'll talk about things like religious liberty and, and marriage and racism and abortion, and we're going we're to look at what the culture thinks about these things, and we're going to line it up with the scriptures, and we're going to say, where are they off? Where are they missing it? What does the Bible say? How should Christians respond to these issues? And that's what we love to do with our youth. And, you know, they, they have got to know how to respond to these things because our culture views, among other things, our culture views morality as relative. Morality is up to you, man. Do whatever you feel like. Our culture says pursue the desires of the sinful nature. That's your right. Our youth need to know how to respond in a dark and twisted and crooked world. It's a world that's a lot like Isaiah 30, 11, that's there in your bulletin, when people said, leave the way, turn aside from the path, let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. People don't want to hear it. People don't want to hear about it, about God. They don't want to hear the gospel, because the gospel tells them they're lost and they need Christ. We can't shelter youth from that. We can't totally pull them out of that. We must equip them so that not only will they survive in that world, but that they will shine as lights in that world. And again, we can do this with confidence. John 1.5 says of Jesus, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I mean, I think this means that we have no pressure. We have nothing to lose. We, we are reflecting the light of life. 
and the darkness can never overcome him. If Christ is with us, nothing can prevail against us. But that doesn't mean there aren't threats. I think there's there's a lot of things we could talk about, but I think the greatest threat to youth or to anyone shining as lights in the darkness is an attachment or even an addiction, an, an idolatry of the material. Um, we want them, we want to equip them to desire the eternal and not the temporal. And so that's verse 14. Paul says as we're working out our salvation, as we're glowing in the dark, we must do everything without grumbling or disputing, being innocent, blameless, children of God without blemish. Now why does he use these words? He's pointing us to Deuteronomy 32.5, to the, the first generation of Israelites who left Egypt and went into the wilderness. And that verse says that they are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Sounds a lot like what Paul's saying. Let me, let me point you to Numbers 11, 4 through 6. Um, this story may be familiar to you. Uh, it's talking about, again, this first generation of Israelites out in the desert. They've left Sinai. Now they're wandering. And it says, now that rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. I mean, really, leeks? That's what you're missing? These folks were denied entrance into the promised land eventually, and it was because they were faithless. They didn't trust. They had short memories. I mean, guys, they saw God do all of these wonders beyond imagination. I mean, the ten plagues, the, the parting of the Red Sea, they saw this stuff. And they're like, man, we wish we had some fish. We wish we had that, those melons back, back in Egypt. They're so good. Gosh, I don't get it. I mean, even then, in the wilderness, they had God with them. The, the cloud... The smoking fire pot, God was leading them through the wilderness. Boy, they had short memories. They wanted to be comfortable slaves rather than free and dependent on God. They could not see beyond the temporal to the eternal. And this is fascinating to me because, here's the thing, if you read Exodus and you read what their lives were like while they were slaves in Egypt, it was bad. I mean, bricks without straw, make your own bricks and and still do the same amount of work. It was cruel. And so you would think that as they go out into the wilderness as free people, wandering in the desert, you would think, man, that's awesome, I'm free. But no, they're like, let's go back. I'll do the work, I don't care. At least we have food. At least we have McDonald's. They complained. They were bitter. And I believe... What this points to is that they had no faith, no trust, no relationship with God. And look, if you don't have a relationship with God, it doesn't matter what circumstance you're in. You're going to complain. You're going to be bitter. You're never going to find rest for your soul. Never. But that's why we need to know the risen Savior. That's why we must walk in the light. If you look at... Go look at 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul talks about the resurrection and he says, because Jesus is risen, I am able and am willing to go be in danger. He says, I'll go fight with beasts at Ephesus. What he's talking about is all the trouble he 
he found in Acts 19 and 20 with the people of Ephesus, the people who opposed him. We were talking about a guy who was, who was beaten and stoned to, almost to death in Lystra and then he got up and went back. He was willing to be in danger every hour, to put his life on the line, to go and take the gospel to the darkness. Why? Because this is what Jesus had already done for him. Jesus had already shown in the darkness of Paul's life, had already brought him from death to life, from blindness to sight. His worldview was what we find in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, which says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The temporal is hard. This life is hard. There are many things that plague us. But it is a light and momentary affliction when we have Christ. Paul didn't live for the temporal. He didn't live for the material. He didn't live for the here and now. I'm not saying it was perfect. I'm just saying he lived for Jesus. Because Jesus guaranteed him a surpassingly great eternal inheritance. But so many live like Jesus is not risen. So many live as though the resurrection never happened. As though Jesus is still dead. We have a worldview in this culture, especially among our youth, which is, again, as we see in 1 Corinthians 15, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Many youth believe that this life is all we have, and that if we don't make the most of every second of this life right now, then we are wasting our lives. That is the prevailing view of the culture. So what are we teaching our youth to desire? Are we teaching them to desire comforts, material things? And I, and I want to say this, I want to say this gently, but I believe it's truth. If we are teaching our youth, if we're sheltering our youth, maybe we are doing so with good motives. Maybe we're doing so with the best motives, out of love. But I believe that ultimately we are teaching them that this life is more precious than the next. And that's a lie. We must teach our youth to desire the, ri- the risen Savior to do, as Paul says, to will for God's pleasures. To desire God's pleasures, not the pleasures of this life. And this is the reason why we can glow in the dark. It is a, it's not a risk to glow in the dark. It is the most secure investment that any of us can make because it is storing up treasures in heaven. And I want to spend a a second here and tell you this is why we do mission trips. All of you wonderful, beautiful folks who support our youth mission teams, this is why we ask you to support our youth mission teams all the time. I know maybe it's exhausting sometimes, but when we go in, in a little bit less than three weeks now, to the Jamaica Deaf Village in Jamaica. This is why we go, to cast vision for 
living for eternal things. This is why we'll probably next year go back to Chicago and work with Sunshine Gospel Ministries. Uh, I, I was thrilled to see the video, the Uganda video this morning, and, and you saw two of our youth in that video. Um, there, there's even one of our students who just graduated who is in Chicago doing an internship with Sunshine Gospel Ministries right now for a month. And so we are, all of this, we're trying to cast vision for our youth to be world Christians, to be followers, participants, and supporters of God's global missional work. You know, the, the alternative is to, be, is to be stuck in our comfort zones. Our comfort zones are small. For some of us, our comfort zones look a little bit like this. They're, they're really small. They're the size of a screen. And so we're like, so bright, so beautiful, my precious. Hey, I've got one, so I can't, you know, I'm calling myself out too, okay? But, you know, we miss so much when this is our world. We have the internet at our fingertips, and we think that means we are in touch with everything, but actually all we're doing is keeping our heads down, missing, missing, missing. We're missing so much. We need to lift our eyes out of the smallness of our comfort zones and up to what God is doing in this world. And we will see glimpses of eternity when we do that. And so mission trips, we do mission trips to to cast vision so that we will help our youth want more than the world's fleeting pleasures. Again, verse 13, God desires for us to will for his good pleasure. And again, Jamaica is a great example of how we do this in the youth ministry. Um, I wanted to tell you just briefly why we go to Jamaica. There's an organization called Caribbean Christian Center for the Deaf, and they have three deaf schools. They're boarding schools and a deaf village, and we go to the village. But the schools, um, they're, they're fantastic uh, tools for, for taking deaf children and teaching them life skills so that they can eventually grow up, make a living, and, and support themselves and have families of their own. But, you know, the first time we toured a deaf school, we were in a classroom, and it, we were told it was a preschool class. But there was, a, there was like a 13-year-old kid in there. We're like, what? We left. We're like, what is going on? Why is that kid in that class? And they said, well, he was a, a student who uh, we just found recently had been hidden in his house by his family. His family is superstitious. They believe that having a deaf child is a curse, and they want to hide him from the community so the community wouldn't know that, he's, that they're cursed. And so you can imagine, I mean, spending 10, 11, 12 years stuck in a dark room, no ability to communicate. Think about that for a second. And so this ministry takes, I mean, he's not the only kid that that happened to. That, that happens quite frequently. And this ministry finds these children and takes them in and loves them and shares Christ with them and teaches them sign language, teaches them how to, how to live. And so we go down there, we, we support them. Um, specifically at the village, because see what the village is, is a place where these children, when they graduate, can live. I don't know if you know this, but in Jamaica, um, there's no guarantee, there's no law that says that you have to hire a deaf person, 
or anybody with a disability. People don't. And so there's not a lot of work for a deaf person. And so at the deaf village, there is work. There's, there's farming, there's woodworking, there's sewing, there's, um, there's even an artist who lives there. He makes his own art, and you can buy it. It's pretty good stuff. Um, and they've, they've just finished now building this conference center that is going to be a, a place where deaf can work in the hospitality industry. It'll be a, a place for supporting deaf tourism. Um, five years ago, when we were there for the first time, we helped build the walls on the second story of that conference center, and this summer we're going to sleep there and eat there. And it's pretty cool to see uh, that vision that J- Jamaica Deaf Village has uh, slowly but surely come to fruition. And it's, it's amazing for our youth to be a part of that, because what they see is how blessed they are, and they don't even know it. What they see is perspective, and They also see the peculiar reality that there are people in this world with far fewer material blessings and far more contentment and joy in the Lord. That's an eye-opener, no mistake. They're not living for the temporal. They're not living for comforts because they don't have any comforts. And that is life-changing for a youth to witness that, to be a part of that. And so I will always encourage youth to go on mission trips. And I would encourage you, if you've not been on a short-term mission trip, I would encourage you to go. Next time there's a, a Uganda opportunity or an Acapulco opportunity or anything that you find, I would encourage you to go. It will change your relationship with God in a way that probably won't happen if you stay in your comfort zone. And that's what it's all about. It's all about thriving relationships with Jesus. As we look at the final section, we want students' hearts aligned with God's heart. We want students focusing on the eternal, aligning themselves again with God's heart. This is verses 15 and 16. Again, we see that the goal of a Christian, a goal of someone who who is working out their salvation with fear and trembling, is they, they would glow in the dark and that they would hold fast to the word of life, being aligned with God's heart. Have you guys seen this thing uh, about Manhattan Hinge? It's like this, this whole idea where um, a few days out of the year, the sunset aligns perfectly with the, the street grid of Manhattan. So if you're looking down a street westward, you see between the buildings, you see this giant ball of fire just right there. And it's, it's actually, you go look it up on Facebook, it's trending. And it's pretty cool looking, but it's only a few days out of the year. And the point is, is that in order for this to happen, the earth has to align perfectly with the sun. And so you know, you know where I'm going with this now, right? That our hearts must be aligned with God's heart. Otherwise, we will not glow in the dark. No one will see the light of Christ. If our hearts are far from God, he will not be glorified by our works. But... If our hearts are aligned with God's heart, we, we won't be able to help glowing in the dark. And so just as last week we saw that it is a spiritual impossibility to walk in the light and in the darkness at the same time. You know, we can't go from dead in our sins to alive in Christ and then back to dead in our sins. It just cannot happen. In the same way, It's impossible to be a Christian 
to have a heart that is transformed by the Holy Spirit and not do good works to glorify God. So what does this look like more specifically? What does it look like to hold fast to the Word, to have a heart that is aligned with God's heart? A couple of places I look at, Psalm 119.15, which says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. And then Micah 6.8, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Fixing our eyes on the Word, on, on passages like Micah 6.8, will help us and encourage us and strengthen us to see God's heart and align our hearts with Him. There are a few places where we see God's heart as clearly as we do in Micah 6.8. In the, in the two previous verses, he's just been telling the Israelites, he said, look, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your self-righteous religion. That's not the desire of my heart. The desire of my heart is for you to walk with me humbly and to be just and to be merciful. And so we want to teach our youth to desire these things, to practice these things. We equip them in their relationships to treat everyone as an image bearer. And this may sound like something you could take for granted, but it's not. Because if we don't treat people how they really are as image bearers, then we will think of them as lesser people. We will think of them as people who are beneath us. We will be cruel. We will be petty. We will be vindictive. And this is far from God's heart. We also equip youth to not just be fair with other people, but to go out of their way to be kind to other people, even to their enemies. It's one of the, I think, one of the hardest things for a Christian to believe is that Jesus is actually serious when he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That, that is real. That is kindness. That is God's heart because that's the gospel that we were God's enemies, turning our backs on him and our sin, and yet he loved us and brought us from death to life. We must glow in the dark. We must let the light of Christ shine through us, glorifying him with our works. And the day is coming when this will not be easy, when it won't be easy to be a Christian even in the South. And youth, our youth may feel this a lot more than we will, but the culture is, is, as you can tell, it's trending towards animosity towards Christians. Most people think Christians are fools. But this, this does not mean that we need to become doomsday preppers. We don't need to dig an underground bunker and stockpile canned goods and turn our assets into gold. That is not the biblical call. The Bible calls us to open ourselves up more, to let the love of Christ shine brightly in a dark world, to become more visible, even to risk mistreatment if, if that's what it takes. And remember, we can do that because it, it, it's a light and momentary affliction. We must equip our youth for that, to model for them, as we talked about last week, discipling them, mentoring, modeling for them how to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, how to desire the eternal instead of the temporal, how to hold fast to God's word, 
how to act justly, how to love kindness. We must model these things for our youth. And above all else, we must pray. Uh, I know that not everyone can be involved in youth ministry. I hope that many of you will, and many of you already are, but everyone can pray. Everyone can pray for our youth by name. If you don't know any of our youth, email me, I'll send you a list. And you can pray for them by name. We need prayer warriors to lift up our youth before the Father. To pray for them to stand firm in the faith, to hold fast to God's word. Would you join me in praying for our youth to walk in the light and glow in the dark? Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. You have called us from death to life, even though we were your enemies. We pray, Father, that this is the same witness that we would uh, be bold enough to share with others, that we would share with others the light of Christ, that we would let your light shine in the darkness. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.